Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, yes, I am, uh, I'm so thankful for uh, people's uh, involvement and connection with things like our, our community events, like the Trunk Retreat. We had so many good beginnings of relationships with people in our neighborhood from last year's event. So that's a really neat thing. So thank you for, for being willing to consider that. Well, we are this morning on the fourth week of the series that we've been in called The Free Methodist Way. And if you're just joining us, what we're doing is we're looking at five values that kind of shape the larger context of who we are as a Free Methodist Church. And so we've been walking through a number of these, and today we're at the fourth one of these. And uh, I just, Pastor Holly already mentioned this, but I just want to say thank you to, again, to Kevin Austin. Kevin Austin was here at our first service uh, today, but he shared with us last week about the set free movement and the free Methodist way of value of love-driven justice as we, he talked to us about what the set free movement is doing to fight human slavery all around the world. And so we're excited to continue our partnership with Set Free and Kevin. In fact, Pastor Holly had mentioned that after last Sunday, we had several other people join our Set Free small group. And so that is exciting news as we try to do what we can to help uh, in this way. So that's, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, there are resources. If you didn't get to hear that message on our website, you can hear that message and there's a ton of resources to dive deeper. Uh, including some of Kevin's resources, like his book and an article that he wrote. As we uh, look at our next of the next of our five values today, about who we are as a larger denominational family, I want to share with you a really amazing statistic. And that is, did you know that the large majority of our Free Methodist family is located outside the United States? Uh, I see a lot of shaking heads and nodding heads. That's good. It's good to know that. And I actually think that this is a, a really cool thing. Uh, what that means is that we are a global denomination made up of different nationalities and cultures from all over the world. Uh, and isn't that great? I love it because it means that we, as a larger family, match God's original intent for what the kingdom of God should look like. From the very beginning, God's intent was to have a people from every nation, every culture, ethnicity, all united in Christ, carrying out the work of God in the world, right? And that's exciting that we get to be part of a family like that. And so I, I hope today is both a little bit of uh, a reminder, a perspective uh, change or a perspective reminder for us. And today is also a little bit aspirational as we think um, about the free Methodist uh, way value of cross-cultural collaboration. Debbie, could you put that first that up on there for me? Thank you. Um, so each uh, each of our um, values, our our leaders, our bishops have written an article that goes along with each of the value steps. And so I'd like to share, as we've done each week, share some of that, uh, some of those. Uh, bits of what they wrote in, uh, in our weekly message. You can read the entire article online if you go to our weekly resources that we update every Monday on our webpage. You can get the full thing uh, and see it all. But in her article on cross-cultural collaboration, uh, Bishop Linda Adams writes this. The Free Methodist World Missions now is in 98 countries. 
And we celebrate the existence of 19 general conferences. That's how we're organized around the world. Each governed by the Book of Discipline, the bishops and boards. Uh, We embrace the way of intercultural engagement moving beyond old mindsets toward profound cross-cultural collaboration. The church in many countries sends missionaries to reach other tribes and language groups in their own country as well as to evangelize and raise up leaders and churches in other nations. In the U.S., we welcome Christian leaders who immigrate here, recognizing their unique ability to organize new churches filled with immigrants from their region of the world. In all cases, we acknowledge our own limited vantage point and recognize how God has designed the body of Christ to cooperate for the greater good. Isn't that great? I love that. This is exciting and it's important because it requires some work on our part. This is the perspective aspect of that. It's exciting because people from all over the world make up who we are as free Methodists. All over the world, different ways of doing things, different languages, uh, and it's incredible. And this is especially important when we recognize that we are part of something much larger than ourselves and our way of doing it. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that. Are you? Because it means that, that, that the Lord can have his message uh, spread throughout the gospel or throughout the world in ways that connect with people everywhere. Amazing things are happening all over the world. In the Middle East, in Asia, in Europe, in Africa, all over. And it looks and sounds different than we might be used to. How wonderful. So, uh, but we, we also want, uh, want to see, and here's the aspirational part, is we want to see that embodied here, right? We want to do what we can as Crossview Church to look like our community and the world around us. And so there's some work that we've got to do, and those where some of this growth comes in for us. You know, I think uh, maybe for a lot of us, our experience of different types or different cultural ways of doing church may have uh, uh, happened with something like a short-term mission trip. I'm guessing that at some point, if you've been following Jesus and in the church for a long time, that at some point you've probably been on some type of short-term mission trip. In our denominational family, we have what's called visa teams. Isn't that super creative? It's like, good job, everyone. Good job, leaders. Visa, missionary teams. It's uh, volunteers in service abroad. Uh, and that, that works to help people take trips all over the world. There's been tens of thousands of people that have gone on visa trips through our denomination. Almost always these teams, uh, people on these teams, on these short-term teams return reporting some eye-opening and humbling experiences. Maybe this has been true of your context as well or if you've done these things. But you hear things like this. The people we met had so little but were so generous. Or how about the children? The families were poor, we experienced, but very happy. Or the church's high energy worship went on for three hours and nobody got tired. That's awesome. You guys ready for a three hour sermon? It's going to be great. (laughs) Can't get tired. (laughs) Have you had that kind of experience? For me, as as it may be true for for some of you, uh, I took short term uh, mission trips to places like Mexico and experienced exactly some of what was just said. Uh, more recently, I've been on trips to Asia in the Middle East and I've had some m- m- significant uh, experiences in churches that look and sound very, very different from what we're used to. 
Again, our bishop writes this, lasting impressions have often been formed around memories of passionate faith, sacrificial hospitality, family solidarity, and delicious yet exotic food. (laughs) The beauty of another culture was on full display and the visa teams eventually realized we went to help, but actually we found out that we were there for God to open our eyes to ourselves and our world. We learned far more than we taught. Has that been true of of your experiences? If you haven't had that opportunity to go on a trip like this, that would happen. That will happen. It does happen. But only the most basic lessons can be learned in a week or two. We want to get beyond first impressions and learn. This is the perspective part of it, which is we have to realize that there is so much that we can learn about about the church, how it works, who God is from different people in different contexts speaking different languages who do it differently. And it is beautiful. We want to gain a worldview shaped by intercultural intelligence rather than just surface realities. It's about how we see people. Each person made in the image of God and even though they they may look different, sound different, eat different foods, they are no less part of the image of God and we have to be willing to say, what can we learn, right? How can we do this together? This is a timely message for our day, our context, and our culture. Again, the bishop writes, That's where collaboration comes in. We need each other. When our brothers and sisters around the world become our real partners, we take a learning posture with them. Uh, When they recognize in us a desire to be true co-laborers, they can speak the hard truth and ask hard questions and learn from us as well. We all move from beyond judging based on outward appearances to appreciating something closer to what God sees, the heart. And isn't that what we want. And I love this value as articulated by our, our denominational leadership saying this is an important aspect of who we are, not only as a denomination, but who we are as followers of Jesus, right? So to get to this type of collabor- collaboration, it requires that we may humble ourselves. We listen and learn. It requires of us to set aside some possible preconceived notions or cultural assumptions that we may have even if we're not aware of them. And this is one of those, those are the types of questions for us that we have to be willing to sit with, ask seriously, and let them make us a bit uncomfortable, all right? We keep talking about in our discipleship pathway, the first part of it is biblical teaching, and as we engage with the Bible and Jesus, what he's gonna do is confront us, and we're gonna be unsettled, especially in the ways that we're not living into the ways of God, and that's gonna be okay. This is one of those things. Allow the difficult questions, the reflections about how we're doing this uh, to, uh, uh, to be there and be okay. We've not always done the best at this. Collaboration is essential to being human. And we know that in part because theologically we understand that God is not solitary, but that he exists in perfect community in the, as part of the Trinity, three in one, cooperating, collaborating together. Being made in God's image as we all are means that we were made for relationships, we're made for love and mutuality. So there's a really wonderful story in the Bible about how we get to see Jesus model this for us. We get to see Jesus put this on display. And it's a story that you probably uh, know fairly well. It comes from John chapter four and it's the story of the woman in the well, at the well. And uh, Jesus shows us what it looks like to cross 
barriers and cultural differences and experience something incredible. So I'm going to read just the first part of this. We'll talk about it a little bit. Starts uh, in John 4. We're going to start at verse 1. And it says this. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Debbie, would you go to that next slide for me? Thank you. The woman was surprised for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? This is fascinating. I love this story. I want to encourage you to go read it because there's so much that happens in this story. It's one that we're fairly familiar with. But put yourself into this story. Samaria is the name that's given to the land between Galilee to the north and Judea to the south. And right in the middle of it is Samaria. And if Jesus and his followers were traveling from the north to the south, it would be logical that they would just go right straight line down through the middle, right? Uh, and so going through Samaria would usually be the natural route. But sometimes, but the Jewish people and Samaritans were enemies. And oftentimes, uh, the Samaritans would attack pilgrims going from Galilee to Jerusalem or vice versa. So often what they would do is rather than just go right up the middle, they would go around and take a much longer route uh, than was there, uh, than they could have if they had just gone straight through Samaria. But this time, Jesus and his disciples had gone through Samaria, apparently without any trouble on the road. And there in the heat of the day, it said it's about noontime, Jesus found himself sitting at this well, which is actually still there. Uh, And this woman came along. Now in that culture, there's there's several things that are happening here that are just surprising. The first is that Jewish men would not have allowed themselves to be alone with a woman. Didn't matter if they were Samaritan or not. This was a big deal, especially for someone with Jesus' reputation. Uh, it was, if, it was un, if it was unavoidable, they would certainly not have entered into a conversation to talk about anything, especially what they talked about. The risk was just too high. And yet we see Jesus talking to this woman. <laughs> We find out a few verses later that the disciples come back and see what's happening and they are not happy at all, right? They're like, what are you doing? The second thing is that this woman was a Samaritan. Now, when we kind of talk about Samaria, but in the Babylonian exile, go all the way back to the Old Testament, the Babylonian exile, uh, when the Jews came back from exile, what they found was a group of people living in the middle of their ancient land claiming to be the true descendants of Abraham. That group of people on that land became known as Samaritans in Samaria. So they have this ancient enemy uh, between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Because of all of this, Jewish people usually wouldn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. They would especially not eat or drink with them. And yet Jesus asks this woman and a Samaritan for a drink of water. This is incredible. 
The last thing I might point out about the barriers and the cultural differences here is that compounding on both of these problems, this woman was said to be of a bad character, had bad reputation. And we know some of that story if, if you read that. So this woman has come to the well. She, uh, she, she's likely, she comes to the well at noontime when she's le- least likely to meet anyone. So she's got even an issue within her own context, with her own culture. Usually, people coming to get water from the well would have come in the cool of the morning or the cool of the night. So early morning or later at night. But here we find this woman coming to this well in the heat of the day, the middle of the day, because she's least likely to encounter anyone that she knows. She doesn't, she's, she doesn't want to be around those other groups of people. And yet, she gets to meet Jesus. And how beautifully what happens next in this story that Jesus shows us how to cross over these barriers and the, the cultural barriers as well and discover the experience of community and cross-cultural collaboration because once Jesus makes this connection, they collaborate together in the sense that this woman goes back and has a powerful impact on her village. She clearly understands the dividing wall of hostility between them culturally and religiously. Jesus is Jewish, she's Samaritan. He's a man, she's a woman. He's a holy rabbi, and she has quite a history. And yet, Jesus talks to her about God's expansive plan for the human race. And he starts to talk to her about what true worship is and says, it's not just for the Jews, it's for everybody. In fact, you can be a true worshiper of God. And it's just, she's like, what? (laughs) You don't, you just don't talk about this kind of stuff in this context. Jesus talks to her about the most important things of life. This just doesn't happen. And we know that the story ends dramatically when an entire village is changed. Her life is transformed because Jesus crossed these barriers. And she takes her transformed life, goes back to her village, and and it says the entire village is changed. Hearing the message of Jesus. How wonderful. Hallelujah. Right? Did you know that Jesus, he can do that back then and he can do that now? He can still do that. If we're willing to say yes to Jesus in uncomfortable circumstances, the kind of change that we can experience and that we can be a part of is beyond our imagination. Amen? This is exciting stuff. This is what we're part of. This is our family. How beautiful. Bishop Linda writes this, as Jesus' disciples watched, he challenged them to open their eyes and see their fruitful harvest among the Samaritans. The work of convincing them that God's mission extends to all people groups had just begun. Kingdom collaboration took a baby step forward here. Jesus had collected a diverse band of disciples, Jewish men whose politics and livelihoods would never have blended into a community of oneness without him. As they followed and learned, he not only invited them to see the Samaritans as candidates for his movement, he showed mercy to a Roman centurion, an enforcer of the hated oppressor. He surprisingly welcomed women to travel with them and provide for them financially. He touched lepers, accepted a woman with a less than pristine reputation's offer to wash his feet. He ate in the homes of tax collectors and sinners, and he fearlessly and graciously overcame the barriers that divide people into in-groups and out-groups. Isn't that incredible? This is what Jesus models for us in the pages of scripture, and the questions that we have to ask of ourselves and our church is, are we doing it that way? And if we're not, we have some work to do. 
Throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see the church being made up of a beautiful mix of people from different cultures and languages and ideologies. In fact, in Acts 2, we see what we know is the day of Pentecost, which is marked by people of all different nations and languages coming together, hearing the message of Jesus in their own language. In Acts chapter 10, we see the story of Peter overcoming a lifetime of prejudice against Gentiles when God orchestrated this encounter between the Roman centurion Cornelius and poured out his spirit on the people who were not supposed to be part of God's family, right? And Peter's mind was changed that day. The the entire family changed. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, if you'd put that on the screen, it says, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne from and from the Lamb. Amen, hallelujah, (laughs) right? I want to be a part of something like that. That's who we are, not only as a free Methodist family, but a family of Christians across the globe. And I'm so thankful for this. I hope you're getting the picture. I hope that God is speaking to your heart very, very clearly. As free Methodists, but more, as followers of Jesus, we recognize that we are part of a global family that transcends what have become natural human divisions in our world, in our culture, and maybe even in our local settings. Asia area director uh, Eric Spangler wrote an incredible article called Better Together, and in it he takes a well-known passage from 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ, and he has some fun with it to make a point. I'm going to read a good chunk of this. It's a bit lengthy, so hang in there with me, but I think you'll really get the point here. He writes this, for we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, Chinese or Nepali. Mexican or Egyptian, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. Now, if an American should say, because I am not gifted with hospitality like the Filipino, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the Burmese would say, because we have, because we have not as many Christians as the Indian church, we don't belong, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were from Asia, where would the sense of African jubilation be? If the whole body were Canadian, where would the sense of the history and tradition from Europeans be? But, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The Cambodian cannot say to the Vietnamese, I don't need you. And the Jordanian cannot say to the Japanese, I don't need you. You get the idea. We need one another. We are better together. Our differences should not divide us. Instead, our differences should enhance the mission's effectivity. When, as Christians, we love each other across cultural barriers, language barriers, and even geopolitical barriers, we show, off, uh, the, we show the world by our oneness that the Father has sent the Son, and we proclaim the gospel powerfully by working together interdependently. Isn't that great? <laughs> I love that. That is such a great way to put in perspective who we are as followers of Jesus. The question we have to ask ourselves is, 
Where might my perspective need to grow and or expand to see the reality of the kingdom of God? And especially, we need to think about how I think about other people and the makeup of the church and how it operates. We need to understand we're one part of a large picture. Amen? Here's a couple other questions. Just maybe you could use these questions throughout the week uh, in some devotional time. Do I appreciate different cultural expressions, perspectives, and even languages as completely valid expressions of our faith family? Do I harbor any known or unknown prejudice, either minor or major, against other people or cultures? And how are we, this one, this question may be a larger question for us as a church, but how are we as a church endeavoring to look like our community and the world around us, putting on display the beautiful multicultural look of the kingdom of God? Just to end, Bishop Linda writes this again. Whatever we experience supernatural oneness that transcends natural human divisions, we discover that we are part of the answer to Jesus' fervent prayer right before his arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. You'll see these on the screen. It comes from John 17, 20 through 23. It says this. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. It continues. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Isn't that wonderful? We know that prayer, we love it. And it's always a call to this type of unity in the Lord. Our unity brings glory to God. Our unity convinces the world that the Father has sent the Son And our unity communicates to a watching world the unspeakable love of God. So let's do whatever it takes to put God on display. Amen? And part of that is recognizing that we're part of a much larger global family that looks different, sounds different, speaks different languages. And oh, what an incredible thing that is. So let's do everything we can to be receptive to that and growing in our expression here as part of that larger family. Amen? Worship team, would you come back up? I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna move into a time of communion.